There is a new JK collection release for Breeders' Cup 2022. It's the Winchell Epicenter Gold Label. Ron Winchell, those iconic silks had such an impact on the game for starters at this year's Breeders' Cup. You can get the special Gold Label shirt if you're an Epicenter NFT owner. You got the special access over at OpenStable.io. Buy the shirt with a digital collectible, and you'll also receive an autographed Epicenter Platinum card signed by the wildly successful Ron Winchell himself. The Gold Label shirt is only available at OpenStable.io and while supplies last. If you're an Epicenter fan or a fan of any of the Winchell starters and just want to wear the shirt for Breeders' Cup without the Gold Label, you can still do it if you act fast. Go to Old Smoke over at OldSmokeClothing.com. Welcome to two of the most popular shows we're going to do all year long. The Breeders' Cup Monster Pods all-star guests to talk about the racing Friday and Saturday at the Breeders' Cup. If you know about the Monster Pods, you know the drill. One guest per race. JK here. He's going to be helping me out. If you prefer to watch these as videos, they're over on the YouTube channel. Hopefully we'll get some good conversation going there. We encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Another way you can help us out is by signing up for our newsletter in the moneypodcast.com slash email. Best way to keep across all the great content we've got. And the vast majority of it is free content over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. But really looking forward to this talented array of guests. Let's get to them right after this. So we have to know, for those who are tuning in to uh, America's Day at the Races on Wednesday, no, Thursday of, this is going to probably air, so like uh, like the week before the Breeders' Cup. What what happened? What is there a pigeon with Andy? I just saw Andy flipping yes, out. yes. No, it was Acacia flipping out, actually. Um, Andy was rather cool, calm, and collected. I think mostly by virtue of the fact that he thought it was funny that I was that terrified. Um, so here's the thing. As, as a lot of people know, like, I'm a vegetarian. I am a huge animal lover. Even pigeons, I want them to live their best life. I just want them to do so away from me. And this pigeon was in, like in our indoor studio at Aqueduct and kept like swooping the set or was just like marching around and coming after our cameraman. And it was just freaking me out a bit. So, yeah. Well, I don't do pigeons either, but don't let Andy <laughs> give you a hard time because he had uh, almost had a panic attack over a bee one time. On the oh, set no. of Saratoga. So he, he he can't say anything about it. If you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to go back to right before the pick six started on <laughs> Thursday, the week before the Breeders' Cup. You can find it somewhere on YouTube. It's, yeah. uh, it's worth the watch. But I did want to have you here today to talk a little bit about the Philly and Mare Sprint. And, and we were fortunate enough to see Goodnight Olive up in Saratoga. Yeah. Uh, it, before that race started, I never would have thought that she would have ended up being possibly one of the favorites for the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Let's, let's start with her, since we got to see her at Saratoga. What do you think about um, Goodnight Olive? I thought that her ballerina was really impressive. I mean, I really thought that given who she was facing in that race, she was going to be a little bit up against it. But the resume that she's put um, put forth in her last handful of races has been super impressive. I actually remember seeing her at the start of her career when she tasted her first defeat, and she really was kind of an underwhelming type of filly, and she's one that I think has really improved a lot. She's come along. She's obviously coming along at the right time, um, and the way that she the way that she stacked up against her competition, she fit. 
in the ballerina and she was impressive in that race. So I think given the fact that coming out of the ballerina to going into the Philly and Mayor Sprint, which is seven furlongs, which is the distance is a concern for some people too, in looking at the Philly and Mayor Sprint versus the Sprint, which is six. So I think given the foundation that she has, given what she's done so far, she's a major player in what at the start of the year seemed to be a contentious division. And I think now it's pretty wide open. And, you know, I think the conversation goes from a horse who's kind of the nowish horse and, and the horse I think is going to get a lot of attention to a horse that uh, was the champion of this race last year was CC, And mm-hmm. she hadn't had, I don't know if she's had a, an outstanding year. And it's arguable that her, her years prior have actually been better than her year this year uh, with some of the races that she was able to win. Do you feel like CeCe's coming into this the right way off of that last race? You know, it was a pretty easy race. She was one to five in there. Mm-hmm. The speed figure wasn't as fast as you probably like to see. Do you still, do you still think that CeCe has a shot uh, at backing up her title? I think last year in the Philly and Mare Sprint, she ran a tremendous race. She also got a lot of pace to run at, and she sat the right kind of trip um, when you have the speed that you did in front of her. Um, but she's an incredibly talented horse. That said, I think it's encouraging to see that she got back to the winner's circle last time. Yes, as you said, she was kind of supposed to win because when I saw her up in Saratoga, and I've only had the privilege of seeing her a couple of times, but compared to what I had seen from her prior and in the paddock in Saratoga, she looked dull. She was really, and I talked about this before the race, she, she really didn't have any spark. She was not showing energy and that's not typical of Cece. So I don't know if it was, traveling I don't know if it was a tough campaign getting to her it was the heat we had we saw some horses who were really struggling with some of the really hot and humid days we had in Saratoga this summer so it could have been a number of factors so I think the fact that she was able to kind of step forward out of that is encouraging that said though I won't be there in the paddock that's something that I'm really going to be looking for from Cece uh, in the Breeders Cup is to see how she's acting because I think that that's a pretty telltale sign um, as far as she's going to show you if she's feeling good and if she's going to run good as a result. Yeah. And one of the things that I would keep an eye on is I've always remembered Michael McCarthy talking about how CC kind of likes a tighter racetrack. Yeah. Um, Surprisingly, she ran as well as she did at Del Mar, but it was in the fall. So I think it's actually a little tighter in the fall than it Mm -hmm. can be in the summer. And and I would think that Keeneland with kind of the cooler weather and it's supposed to be nice 75 with the cooler weather, uh, I would imagine that racetrack should be to her liking. So keep an eye out for the times see if they're coming back a little bit quick. I think the quicker the times are, the means the tighter the racetrack is, which means I think CC could move up quite a bit there. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate. I would love to see Kamari run in this race. It sounds like mm-hmm. she's going to run in the sprint going six furlongs, but there is another horse that I'm very excited about seeing run in here, which is Latruska, who's going to get an opportunity to run a little bit shorter. She hasn't really yeah. been herself. Uh, I, I guess herself being a champion who was outstanding last year but I'm interested to see how she runs going a little bit shorter I am too and I think it's interesting because when we first saw her coming to the U.S. the Breeders' Cup Billy Mare Sprint was the goal for Fausto Gutierrez that's why we saw her running against Serengeti Empress up at Saratoga and that just incredible pace duel we saw as a result and as he started to stretch her out in distances her speed was so deadly going a little bit longer she was able to handle the distance and she just became a monster in the distaff division and I think it's disappointing of course that we didn't get a chance to see her run her race last year in the Breeders' Cup distaff I still think the championship honors were so well deserved for the overall campaign of the year that she put together that said 
I do not mind her cutting back at all. Um, she was a horse, again, at the start, this had been the goal, and he thought that this is the way to get him to the Breeders' Cup um, in the Philly and Mare Sprint. Is she going to still be able to run her A race? I think that's what remains to be seen because she did have such a tough campaign last year and maybe hasn't been able to carry that over to this year. Um, that said, I think that she just adds another interesting layer to what I said. is I think a really wide open division this year. You've had a chance to see Latruska quite a bit throughout her career. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were able to see her at Saratoga, if you were on at that time, but has she changed at all physically or is it just, you know, maybe she just last year just took a lot out of her. She, um, she hasn't changed too much physically. She's always a really imposing type. She carries really good weight. Um, she's always a horse that can be a little energetic, a little almost nervous prior to a races. You'll notice that she always pat at school several times before her race. She never does the post parade. She goes off in the opposite direction. She's accompanied by a pony in the paddock. That's all very typical stuff from her. And even as she's gotten a little bit more mature, they've still kept all of those things in place, which I get, you don't want to mess with it. You don't want your champion to all of a sudden get really nervous and freak out because you didn't bring a pony in the paddock. Um, so I understand keeping all of that. Um, Going into the Breeders' Cup, uh, there were some some speculation and some conversation last year about she looking like she had really taken a racetrack with her. And I would completely agree with that. And she did the same kind of like the conversation I said with Cece. Before the, the staff last year, Latruska, uh, her coat didn't look great. Her weight didn't look great. And like I said, she's always one that carries a lot of good weight. She was really sweaty, kind of washed out uh, schooling and prior to the race, which though she's an energetic type, she's not normally like that. This year, she seemed like she was back to her normal self, which was great to see. Um, that said, for a mayor in particular, it's tough to keep them at such a high level, running against the best horses in a super competitive division. It's really hard to keep them up at that level. So I don't think you can take anything away from her. What we saw from 2021 was spectacular, and I think we're privileged to have gotten that opportunity. Um, I'm a little concerned that those best races may be behind her. The last two I wanted to touch on um, are kind of on two opposite sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, obligatory, who has been so consistent. She loves the distance. She loves it in Kentucky. Um, she, you know, this big full field, these, these races, it feels like this Philly and Mare sprint can often get chaotic and some horse comes mm-hmm. rolling down the middle of the track. It feels like obligatory could be one of those horses. What do you think about obligatory's chances in the Philly and Mare sprint? I've always been a big fan of her. I mean, if there's some pace to run it, you know that she will be running late. And she was actually my top pick in the ballerina. I thought, um, you know, she had nearly gotten to Bella Sophia earlier in the year and just said, kind of run out of some real estate. I've always felt that seven furlongs is her ideal distance. She has that big turn of foot. And I think what you said about her races in Kentucky is well meant too. She seems to run her best races there. Um, and yes, she needs some pace to, to set up and, and to get the right kind of trip for her. But in these kinds of races and in these kinds of fields, you should get an opportunity to see that. When I had interviewed Bill Mott before the ballerina, it seemed like he was the one that she was the one that he was highest on. And uh, we'll see if she's going to be able to step forward on the big day and then the last one i think which is probably the most interesting in this in this in this race outside of latruska trying something different but echo zulu was brilliant mm-hmm. at the beginning of her career and then she just didn't really turn the corner as it were with the kind of the longer distance three-year-old races and we saw her with some time off 
now she's back and she seemed to run well going around one turn last time. Do you predict maybe another step forward from Echo Zulu or do you think she just needs to kind of find a little bit more to uh, match up with some of these olders? So far, I think that she needs a little bit of a step forward to stack up with the older fillies and mares that she's going to be facing. That being said, I was really impressed by her last race. And especially given the fact that we didn't get to see her in the acorn, and that she was, as we all know, late scratch on the track. Um, and she was sent to Dr. Bramlage. Nothing serious was found. Given some time, she came back and she won. And I was so excited to see her in the acorn because I really felt like the shorter distances were actually going to be better for her. So I like that they're keeping her at these sprint distances. She just doesn't look like a horse that wants to go the distance. Yes, I know that she won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies last year. I just think that she was so far heads and tails above her two-year-old competition. Um, and she was further along mentally and physically. Talent was there. That she was able to overcome something that she really probably didn't want to do. And she actually ran a bang-up race in the Kentucky Oaks, too. So I think that she's got a world of talent. We'll see how she stacks up with these older Phillies and mares. But I think this is the right place to find out where she stands. Keisha, if I had to hold your feet to the fire, and I don't <laughs> like to make people pick one. Oh. I, I let people pick, I let people pick a couple because that's how I play. I, I play multi-race yeah. bets. I don't always have to have one. Sometimes I have two, sometimes I have three. If you were making a wager, who are one or two of these horses that you wanted to make sure you'd have on your ticket? Who um I I always prefer to do these after the draw um but for you uh Tori is one that I've been really excited about coming into um to the Breeders Cup and and I really think Goodnight Olive is a huge player um so I'd probably put those as my kind of big two right now um I'll be following really closely of course uh, as far as how everybody's you know, training and leading up to it. Um, that's a little dangerous because certain horses get some buzz surrounding them and we'll see how, how uh, the, the draw stacks up. But for me, obligatory has been the one that I've, I've been most excited about leading into it. You could have said the all, but I would have let you get away with it. <laughs> this one, this is one of those races that I, I mean, I really think you can make a strong case for pretty much all the horses we talked about. It, it creates chaos, and I think the reason it creates chaos is because of what we're seeing is you you, you, you have the younger horses taking on older. Mm -hmm. You have cutbacks. You have stretch outs because it being at seven furlongs. You have horses that excelled going six, but seven might be too far. It's always a full field yeah. because of the breeding uh, implications of this race, yeah. and that's why I think it's so chaotic at times and, and why it can give you a bar of gold and, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and horses like that. So. Uh, I did give you a hard one to try to pick, but I appreciate you <laughs> jumping out there. I almost called you Acacia Courtney just because when I asked you for the where to send this email, your yeah. email is still Courtney, not Clement. So I know that Sorry. almost threw me off, but it didn't. I, so I just go with AC. I just do AC. It's yeah. undefeated. Yeah, ACC, -A -A everybody's kind of braced. So I made Courtney my middle name. So it's still, it's not technically wrong. So you're good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Subscribe, comment. Right. Whatever you do on the bottom of these YouTube thing, videos, I don't ever do it because I don't know, but <laughs> whatever it is, make sure you do it. Thanks so much. Sean Borman. I famously have told the story uh, where my first second, my first time I got second in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge was because of you, because I was driving to Chick-fil-A in Lexington, and I called you, and we talked, um, and the only reason I called you is because the line was long. And I called you, and we talked, and that's when you told me that you liked the glass ceiling and the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. And uh, saved an all-in push because I used glass ceiling I wouldn't have used without you. So thanks, buddy.
You're welcome, my friend. And it was glass slippers. Oh. Cinderella, my friend. Oh. Uh, well, I thought it was ceiling. Glass ceiling. <laughs> That's it. You someone should name a horse glass ceiling. Um They should. That was that was when I was of the belief that the Euros can't win the Breeders' Cup turf sprint and uh she proved that wrong. What was it about her? And do you feel the same way about any of the other Euros in this year's Breeders' Cup turf sprint? Um, well, what was it about her? Was she was the fastest horse in the race. Um, <laughs> that's what it was about her. She had the best figures and the best finish. And she got a tremendous trip and ride that day. Um, do I feel that way this year? Uh, possibly. Um, Highland Princess is, is pretty damn good. And she's she's gotten fast. Like the the thing about her, though, um, you know, I she she does have the best figures and, and probably the best finish. But here's the thing about her: she's she's very tactical. She's not like a stone closer. And the fact that her late pace figures are as good as they are tells me she might be she might try to be too close to golden pal because she is tactical and there's just no way. I don't think she can produce the finish she's shown in Europe chasing that beast. Um, so they're either going to have to ride her differently, which is possible, or she's going to get sort of chewed up on the turn and won't produce the same finish, but she's very, very good. Okay. Any of the, um other european imports kind of stack up you know i know how you feel about golden powder we'll get to him in a second mm-hmm. but is there any that kind of stack up something like you believe she could stack up with the right trip and the right ride is there any other right. ones that you think are close enough to to her or golden pal um i think creative force would have a chance but i think he's maybe a length or two slower than than uh uh the philly um or the mayor um, those are really the only two I think that that really have a chance, and uh, you, you know, I still think Golden Pal is probably the most likely winner. Um, and then what about the the American horses? You know, is a horse like Caravel or uh, Campanelle? Are they? I mean, Campanelle is kind of American and European, but do either one of them uh, give you any indication that they could potentially get close to Golden Pal? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't see it. Um, so Caravelle, certainly not. I, you know, the way this race shapes up to me, JK, is um, Golden Pal's most likely winner. He's got just that devastating turn time. And, you know, if he doesn't win, I think it's one of those two Europeans. And if they don't fire, I have no idea. The rest of them just look all about the same. And it could just be one of those chaotic, Breeders' Cup races that I, you know, I can't predict, I can't pick, I, you know. So I, I've got really nothing that I want to bet on any of the other Americans at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, it's it's tricky because for me, I always kind of lean towards the horses that are going to be Ford and Turf Sprints. But this year, I think with Golden Powell being so dominant, they're going to ride him aggressively. They're going to put him on the front end. I don't. I already kind of have my speed horse covered. I already have that exactly. that kind of aspect of the race covered. So I don't think that I need to use another horse that could get loose like I do any other time I'm playing turf sprints. Oh, this could be the speed of the speed. 
that question is answered. If anyone gets loose, it's going to be Golden Powell. And if anyone's the speed of the speed, it's going to be Golden Powell. So I don't really need to mess with that. I think what you do, what you can mess with, is if the race completely falls apart. So you can look for mm-hmm. horses that are going to come from way out of it. If I do anything alternatively, it will be that. Um, Caravelle, I'm a huge fan of. I just don't think she's good enough to beat Golden Powell. Uh, but, Sean, there is one thing I did want to talk to you about. And I, we kind of had this conversation. We have a group text, myself, you, Jake Ballas, Pete. We, you know, we talk a lot of trash on there. But there was, right after Golden Powell ran, your initial instinct was a little bit different mm-hmm. than what it is now. Your initial instinct was that's a vulnerable horse that has it. we have a chance to try to bet against. That was prior to you making the figure and looking at the figure. What changed after you made the figure to kind of go back to what we we both one had a conversation that we think he might be one of the best sprinters we've ever turned sprinters we've ever seen. It's the way he runs the turns. And he's he's just got an elite turn of foot. And he does it around the turn instead of in the stretch. And in these shorter turf sprints, that can just be deadly. Now I do think he's vulnerable late, but I just don't see a horse that can really go with him to make him that vulnerable. Um, maybe the, the, the European, uh, but Highfield princess can maybe, but I just don't see it, man. I mean, you know, on my scale, he ran a, a like a one twenty four pace figure in the middle of that race, which is just outrageously fast. And if any of the Americans try to go with him, he'll, he'll bury them. Now he might end up burying himself in some, deep closer gets up and wins a race that I just can't foresee. But that's what changed with me on him is, is I, you know, he's just, he, he just does elite things in the middle of the race. And it's just at five, five, five and a half furlongs. That's just hard to compete with a lot of times. Yeah. It it feels like to me, he is the type of horse that is, he's going to open up. On them, he's not an invite them into the race type. Like, like to your point, right. he's going to open up. And Irad rides him with enough confidence that he'll do that. I also think that he's kind of it's kind of a home game for him. I know he's run some big races in other places, but I, I would imagine that he has stepped foot on the turf course at Keeneland more than anywhere else in his career. Whether it be breezes, whether it be races, I, I think that he stepped foot on that turf course more than anywhere else. He's run well on that turf course. Let's not forget. Uh, what he did as juvenile turf sprint was there. I just think mm-hmm. he's, I just, I just think he's one of the best turf sprinters we've ever seen. And uh, I, I like the speed figures we're seeing from Highland queen. So there's that, at least I would consider her underneath, but I think this race is pretty straightforward to your point. If it's not one of them two, it could be all of them. And, and that can be pretty expensive depending on what kind of multi-race bet this race falls into. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, Shawnee, I'm still going to call you on, on, uh, on on saturday morning i probably won't go to chick-fil-a though because i'm staying downtown there's no chick-fil-a downtown that's tough i don't know what are you gonna do without that chick-fil-a stop i mean that, well, do you, do you it really bring it really you changed can, your life honestly you can bring it to me we'll see. <laughs> all right buddy well i miss you i'll see you i'll see you soon pete wanted me to remind everyone to subscribe uh, uh and to comment and, and to uh to do all those things that you do on on the youtube pages and and, and talk about sean's Talk about Sean's, uh, his mustache in the comments if you want to, which I'm really enjoying. Well, thank you. So is my wife. (laughs) 
Love you, Shawnee. I'll see you. Uh, <laughs> Love you too, man. See you next week. See you, boss. If horse playing was Game of Thrones, yeah, I think you would be the heir to the Iron Throne. Uh, Carson Matisse, you've heard the last name before. Duke, Paul, you know, third generation royalty as, as a horse player. Carson, good to have you on the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, it's good to be here. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Dirt Mile. Well, first, I want to say congratulations to you for being the third generation uh, to qualify uh, for that contest. But uh, still, <laughs> a, heck, a heck of an accomplishment, a heck of an accomplishment. And, and we've always known it was going to happen for you. And I'm super proud of you, buddy. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I remember when I saw you down at the NHC years ago. I, I think that's where I first met you. So that was uh, that was awesome. I got to qualify this year. Yeah, back when we used to try to sneak you in the room all the time when you were underage. <laughs> yeah. Now we don't have to do that anymore. So yeah. they don't have to do that anymore. Uh, yeah. But uh, congratulations. And so let's talk a little bit about this dirt mile. Um, it, it's a race that, that I think has gotten pretty interesting with Jack Christopher likely deciding to go into the sprint. We'll see what happens. Uh, he is uh, first preference there. But there is a horse I, I think that you and I both are interested in. I think a lot of other people might be as well. And that's Cody's wish based off of his race in the forego. Carson, what do you think about Cody's wish in this spot? I think Cody wish is just going to get a perfect trip. Honestly, I think there's going to be a few horses that are going to go right to the lead. I think Cody's wish is going to sit, sit just in behind and, and close just like he's done in all the other races. <laughs> right. And from a, from a speed figure standpoint, uh, what he did against Jackie's warrior, I think a lot of times when horses run fast figures, in, and it's kind of a jump out race for them. I think it's always a little bit comforting when they earn that figure against a talented horse like Jackie's Warrior. So I'm assuming that you felt like his forego was a real performance, uh, not kind of an aberration. Yeah, I do agree. I think I think it shows that that's what the horse can do. Uh, running against a better horse um, really shows that the horse can just keep going and, and not quit. What about Cyberknife? What are, what are your thoughts on Cyberknife? I've, I've been kind of back and forth on on cyberknife he's had some good races going you know those those kind of middle distances the mile and an eighth the mile and a 16th uh do, do you think he kind of fits in this dirt mile i've been back and forth in this horse too the mile might be a good distance for him i'm not quite sure if he's going to be fast enough to to get the win but he could be right around there in second or third that's where i would put him and then Laurel River is another one I think is going to probably get a lot of buzz. I've heard the horse is training well. He ran well in the uh, in the Pat O'Brien down at Del Mar. And, you know, these Bob Baffert horses are always going to get attention when they show up in these big races. Uh, where are you with, with Laurel River in the dirt mile? I would put Laurel River close, close up there with Cody's Wish. That's probably going to be my second choice here in this race. I'd like to see them dueling it out at the wire and, and get some, some cool bob at the end. That'd be a cool photo. Um, so that, that's what I'm looking for. I think the horse is going to be pretty far in front, or not far in front, but be in the front of the pace. So I think that's the horse that uh, Cody's Wish is going to be coming after. And then uh, some price horses. Is there any price horses in here that, that interest you for, for kind of underneath, whether you're playing exactas or, or, or trifectas? Um, is there any horses that you think that could get involved uh, at, at some prices? You know, I like simplification a little bit. That horse will definitely be, be a price. And the horse was against the track two back, had a terrible ride the race, the race before that. So I think that horse might be able to get in there for that, you know, exactor try. At, at least I'm hoping so. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, simplification I thought ran ran a little bit better than it looks on paper in the, in the Pennsylvania Derby. You know, he's mm-hmm. facing Taba and Zandon and Cyberknife, and, and he was fourth in there. But I, I thought ran well enough, and I completely agree, is, is race back in the Preakness. Uh, not a great trip in there, and he'll be forgotten in here, it feels like. A lot of people are going to be paying attention to horses, horses like Cody's Wish, Cyberknife, right. Laurel River, and, and I think simplification is one that could kind of uh, sneak in uh, off the uh, – uh, under the radar – um, and then I, I wanted to ask you a little bit what you thought about Gunite. I know he's coming back off of, off of uh, it'll be 14 days rest when he shows up. A pretty quick turnaround for, for him. Do you have any interest in Gunite based off some of the races we saw from him uh, this summer? He was impressive in Saratoga a couple times, and then he's come back to win uh, two races in Kentucky at Churchill and at Keeneland. Gunite's a great horse. Um, the horse is going up to a mile, the extra furlong, so – I'm not key in the horse. I will most likely be using it in pick fives, you know, but, or, or pick fours, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to end up key in that horse just, just based off of the fact that he's got to get back, get up, get back up to the mile. So, yeah. Now is Cody's wish for you, Carson, the type of horse that you might single in those picks or uh, just the, the type of horse you'll key when you're playing exactus and tries, or, or do you like Cody's wish enough that you would possibly single in, uh, in pick fives and pick sixes? I probably won't single that horse. If I did end up going short in this race, I would end up playing Laurel's River and uh, Cody's Wish. So I probably wouldn't be singling that horse, but I would key him in the exactas and the tries for sure. Are you guys going to uh, the Matisse crew going to be seen in Keeneland? Or are you guys going to just be keeping it on the West Coast? We're going to be keeping it on the West Coast. Uh, we are going to be up at Santa Anita, I believe. So we'll be watching the races from there. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Dirt Mile. We'll be rooting for you in, in, in March uh, to, to add to the legacy of a, of, a, of a heck of a horse-playing family. I know the rest of the crew is proud of you in the backyard. Uh, Grandpa Chick, your Uncle Paul, everybody's happy. So uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully you can have some success like the rest of the family has in that, in that contest. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, good luck to everybody else as well in the contest. All right, buddy. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. Thanks. Next up on the show, one of my favorite races personally at the Breeders' Cup, the Philly and Mare Turf. want to remind everybody that you can get a ton more information about the Breeders' Cup all over our YouTube channel. We encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And also through InTheMoneyPodcast.com where you can sign up for our free email in the moneypodcast.com slash email, the way to get that. The guest we're bringing on to talk about the Philly and Mare turf. Uh, the last time he was on these airwaves talking about this race, so all he did was give you a really nice priced winner in the form of Odaria. And we'll see what he can come up with this year. He is the director of racing from Kentucky Downs and all in all, you know, frequent guest on At the Races with Steve Bick, all around good guy. Rick Hammerly, the Hammer. How are things, Hammer? Things are great. Back in California for a little bit before we head back to Kentucky for the for the big races next week. So you are coming, definitely good. I I, I was hoping that that was going to be the case. I was back and forth, and um, you know, I, I was I was. There's no reason for me not to go. I looked, I checked, I got a plane, I got a car, I got a hotel. So uh, let the let the races begin. So yeah, no, I'll be out early too. I think I'm coming out Monday. So. It's going to be one of those relaxing trips, not a hit and run. So I'm I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. And I was checking the old weather channel too, and it looks pretty good. 
Fingers crossed. You made the yes. only sensible decision. Before we drill down into the specifics of this race, I did want to ask you a question about your general approach to playing the Breeders' Cup because you're not just a, a racing exec. You're, you're a proper horse player. I am a proper horse. I, I'm I'm a fan. That's 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 the first and foremost. I just happen to be working in the industry. But this is a different animal, as everybody knows, and it's so it's so advantageous to the players that this stuff comes out. Look, we got we got PPs today, and the race isn't for another ten days. So take advantage of that. That's the first thing I can recommend, and, and everyone do at least give a cursory glance uh, and see what's going on. But what I like to do is immediately identify the favorites in all the races, or who I think is going to be the favorite, and decide. And not necessarily a favorite, but decide single possibility, super single possibility, or need to go deep. So as I go through the races, I'll say, you know, like flight line, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna try to waste time to beat him right now. You know, Jack Christopher, maybe. And so I'll go through each race and do that. So that's my first um, foray into into dipping into the race. And and when we get to the to Philly and Mare Turf, I mean, luckily. It's, it hasn't been a favorite-laden race. Only one favorite's won this race since 2013, and that was Dank. And before that, it was Ouija Board in 2006. Um, and although the favorites do run well, uh, over the last 10 years, the payoffs averaged a healthy 10, 10 to 1. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to throw the favorites in the mix and, you know, the trifectas and the, and the, and the verticals. But doesn't necessarily get to the wire, which is, a, you know, it makes it a little more challenging. And, and uh, you know, I, I enjoy races like that. So when we get to this, when we're, when we're doing this race here, um, there's is some oddities to this race. Uh, the fir- this was little history. This was the first extra race that was added to the original six pack. I think it was back in 1999. So, I think it was seven originally. Cause I remember they used to have the pick seven. So, that's right. Original first seven, hundred percent. And then, so this was the first original added. So um, it, it has a really a distance quandary. It's crazy of all the places it's gone. The distance hasn't been run at the same since it's run here at Santa Anita when we ran it three years in a row in 12, 13 and 14. So the configurations of the track, it's been run at a mile and an eighth mile and three eighths mile and a quarter. And then this year's distance is mile and three sixteen. So uh, if you're looking back, comparing times and things like that for this particular race, just throw it out the window. Just yeah. take it as an individual race and see what goes on. Um, so really enjoy it. Another, I don't know if we call it an oddity, but for the, the last 10 race, the last 10 uh, runnings of this, either a foreign horse or Chad Brown has won it. And not only that, the dominance is unbelievable. In, in the 40 trifecta spots available in those 10 years, they filled 31 of them. That's amazing. And in the 20 exacta spots, they filled 17. So, <laughs> Does that simplify now, our job this year? It, it, you know, and I, I, as you're right, it's, so it's probably going to be one. Now, now, granted, they usually take up about 75% of the race, so <laughs> that figures. And this year, this year they take up 10 of the 15 pre-entries. So, it, you know, it's logical okay. that, that that's going to happen. And, you know, one of my questions is, you know, we, we run, I think it's 14 grade one races and 18 grade two races for these horses here in this country. Where, where are they come Breeders' Cup time? So, you know, we have, we have five, five horses from here. There's, uh, there's two from Canada and then eight from, from Europe to make up the 15. So, you know, you wonder why we don't have more representation, but that seems to be happening year after year. But 
let's go with what we got. And, um, and that's a, that's a European dominated uh, card, uh, like I said. And, you know, they've done the races, the races at Keeneland where, you know, the wet, the weather is, you know, questionable. Uh, so there's a chance that some of the ground could be a little, little, have a little more give to it than say a West coast venue like Del Mar or Santa Anita. And, you know, surprisingly too, over the years, we've found that, you know, oh, they don't like the hard surface and this, that, and the other. But on the other hand, guess what? When they're choosing their horses to bring here, they know what it's going to be like. So it's easier to say, oh, you know what? We're not going to take her because she likes it only soft and we know we're not going to get soft. Here, it's a little bit of a, you know, we might get a little soft. So, um, you know, the choice is maybe not as, as finite as it could be. But so they've learned over the years, the guys that show up over here, not just in this race, but all over they fine tuned and know which horses to send over as far as the ground goes. So uh, you're not going to see a horse that, that doesn't belong footing wise. They, they just leave them at home because it just doesn't make sense here. But uh, so we're going to have, it's going to be a firmish, I would say um, not, but not uh, if we don't get any more rain, it'll, it'll be, you know, not, a, it won't be on the good side. It'll just be on the firm side. One quick thing here, one horse that's missing from the lineup that of course is warlike goddess uh, if she were in here i think she would be the favorite and i think she would have a big big shot of winning and and could even possibly be a single but she's she's showed last time she can run against the boys so she's chosen to run a few races later in the breeders cup turf and you know what she's a big contender in there too so with her out of here boy it opens things up Pete. i really do i think so well, I think you hit the key note, right? Chad Brown and, and the Euros. When looking at the Euros, you did identify uh, Adaria, as we pointed out before a couple of years ago, who was a sort of a, a, a mid a mid to longer priced type Euro. I think we're going to have Nashua at the top of the market here and on form. Boy, she looks like a lot of the horses who run well in this race in the past. But where does your eye go amongst these Europeans? Give us a little bit of an overview of what you think of them. So uh, we start, you know, the way when we get the PPs are alphabetically. So that's that's how we that's how we roll on that. And, you know, the first source that comes up to for, for look is is um, is above the curve. And she's also she's run real well. She only got beat a nose last time to Nashua. She is another one of these that that's uh, has has never been out of the money. Um she she's she's four to one and I'm, I'm using the odds that were given in the i think it was the form so i don't know if there's going to be the morning line but it's not it's not going to be far off uh she's fine um she's a three-year-old there's six three-year-old fillies in here do not be afraid of that i think there's been three of the last six races have been won by three-year-olds so don't let that bother you um you know they're they're well meant when they come here so from the joseph o'brien barn who you know has just carried on the family tradition. He's, he's done well. The connections are big. Um, I'm, she, she's, I'm, I'm talking, I'm keeping her in the in pile. The next one is dream loper. I, um, I had originally seen her somewhere at, at 10 to one. It might've even been on odds checker earlier, you know, maybe a two, three weeks ago. So when I saw her PPs, I'm like, Oh, this is great. But then she came out at five to one. She just finished off, uh, coming out of a race where she beat order of Australia, the 2020 mile winner. So I, uh, and she won by five. She still has the look to me. The connections don't jump off at the page to you. I don't know, but this horse has a look that it might float up a little bit for some mm-hmm. reason. 
I, I thought we'd maybe look look at eight to ten, but we're maybe we're looking at five to seven. I like Dream Loper. I uh, um, I think she's coming into this race super. She's a win type. She's won six out of her 17 starts. She has won two in a row before. She's a multiple grade one winner. This one I'm, I'm putting in a good pile for now, Dream Loper. And one thing about the distance we mentioned earlier. So this is a mile and three sixteenths. And, you know, you look at that and you kind of – Mile three sixteenth, mile and eighth, mile and a quarter. Where do they all fit? Mile three sixteenths is not that long of a race. I think of it as a mile and eighth plus a sixteenth. So what I mean by that is, some of these horses that that are milers and mile and run good at a mile and eighth, they can stretch to a mile and sixteenth, no problem. I don't see you see those kind of horses running a mile and eighth or running longer. And on the other hand, when you have horses in here that are run used to running a mile and a half. You know, a mile five sixteenths, mile quarter. This is a little bit. This is a little bit shorter, so it might not fit them as much as I think a horse like Dream Loper, who's who's run good at a mile and an eighth, and and I think she can carry the extra three sixteenths. So I I like her if she's going to be, you know, kind of re- overlooked on the board. Uh, hmm. If she's seven to two or something, maybe not. But I have a, I got to have a feeling she's going to be overlooked. Um, as we go down the list, you had a couple of horses that uh, come from the Rodeo Driver from California. Is a very interesting stat here. Uh, no horse that made their last start in California has ever won this race. So I'm not about to buck that at this point. Um, Fair enough. Uh, for, that's really, which is really crazy. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, I mean, California, I mean, we had a ton of good turf horses that would come out. And they won, they won the mile and they won the, the, the turf. But it's amazingly enough, not, 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 um, made their last start and never won. So I'm not, I'm not bucking that. <laughs> so the, the first Chad Brown horse we come to is in Italian and you look and you go, yeah, you know, one of, you know, one of Chad's, you know, all right. So I, well, I watched a lot her last couple of races uh, on the replay last night, two, two races ago in the Diana going a mile and eight. She set a new track record. She went nine and change going three quarters. Last time she ran a mile and 33 and change. She might just try, I mean, not might, she's going to try and get out there and run them off their feet again. And once, like I said, this mile and three sixteenths is not terribly longer than a mile and eight. And it you know could what? Be sharp. It could be sharp for some of these Europeans like Nashville. They might just be getting going and the race might be over. That's exactly my point here. So I, I, I'm having, I, I, I went from an, an, an Italian, in Italian to over here to after watching the races and kind of watching her style and, and listening to, they do the old the old mic on horseback after the win, I, which I'm not a big fan of. But uh, on the one when they had Joel was there, and all he said was, "I didn't even know she was going that fast." So, <laughs> you know, if that's the initial reaction without having to think, I'm thinking, you know, she might just be sit up there, and you know what, let's rock. And if this is uh, a little bit on the firm side, you know, maybe she she runs them off their feet again. So I, I have her finishing in the money just be just because of that. Uh, you know, not the Chad Brown factor. I guess Joel will ride. I don't know the riders, but obviously he knows her well. And and if she, you know, gets a, maybe a, a decent inside post and, and doesn't have to use a whole lot to get over, I could see her absolutely lasting. You know, we I can see have- we only have Pardon? a couple of minutes left, Rick. Okay. We just have a couple of minutes left. I want to make sure we we name check all the ones you want to get to. Okay, so we have we have. Uh, let's talk about Nashua. Uh, how do we pronounce her? Nashua, I think, Nashua, is it? Yeah, Nashua. She's two to one. 
that's pretty strong in here, I think. Um, she's never been out of the money. Yes, she's won four out of four out of seven. Um, she, like as mentioned, she beat above the curve Tuesday. Uh, uh, a, an, an Aiden O'Brien charge who's on the next page beat her earlier in the year. If I'm looking for a little bit of a hole, it's that distance thing. She she likes to go a mile and a quarter, mile and a half. Um, and I think two to one is just a little bit too too low to take for me. Not that you know she's not a toss, but I, I I'm looking for more. Uh, a, a couple live long shots in here. Saffron Beach. She's a, she's won six of her thirteen. She likes to be prominent. She showed her 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 class earlier in the year. She won at Deauville. A grade one uh, going a mile. This is another one of these stretching out a little bit. She threw in a clunker last time, and I love this stuff. She was going off at three to two, two to one, three to five, five to two. She's 12 to one in the program, might be 15. So, what, she had one bad race, and she's no good anymore? So, this to me is a great 15 to 20 to one long shot. Uh, you know, familiar familiar connections they know what to do here so i'm i love i love the saffron beach um she may go in the mile right i think she's one of the cross-handed ones so that's something you need to pay attention to that's a good call we won't know that till monday uh but right now if she stays in here i really like her a little bit and then you have two uh aiden o'brien horses with the same connections two galileos one's 30 to one that's toy and one's eight to one that's tuesday you know what that (laughs) I keep thinking of Order of Australia who popped at, at numbers two years ago. Uh, Toy sneakily looks coming into this race pretty good. Showed her class earlier in the year. She ran second in the Irish Oaks. You know, not much not much less. They gave her a little bit of a breather. She came back in an ungraded stake last time, ran her best figure. She's going forward, and this just has the look of that. One of those ones, darn, after the race, why didn't I throw her in? So if I'm looking for a super, super play with the great connections, it's Toy at 30 to 1. So that's those are the four or five I'm looking at right now. Um, you know, things always change depending on how your bankroll is and how you're doing that day. But uh, that's, who I, that's who I've zeroed in on this race. This race starts the pick six. It, it's involved in a pick five. And it also let's talk about the new turf pick four which is races four, six, eight, and 10 on Saturday. So that's something else to look for. And obviously this race is part of that. And uh, you know what? This is one of those days, pick your spots, but you got to keep firing because all it takes is that one hit and, and you come out a winner. So uh, we love Breeders Cup. It's the best. Rick, you'll be here. So we'll talk to you. Maybe we'll get you in our Who We Betting video. We'll we'll find somewhere to, to, to plug you and get more of your final thoughts when we have a little bit more info. But this was a great overview, and you always do the work, and you're always a pleasure to have on board. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete. Enjoy the races, everybody. Richie, what's going on? Everything's good. We're getting uh, down to the Breeders' Cup. I love the cycle in racing, right? In the spring, in the winter, we're, we're – pointing towards the derby the classics the spring we get there then we're looking for saratoga we get into the fall after saratoga and we're looking for breeders cup and then next year it starts all over again absolutely it's it's, it's always a ton of fun and I, and I love how we change locations uh, i know that you and i both probably feel like we'd love to see one in new york at some point but i, I do like how we get out to california get to del mar get to churchill get to keeneland uh, it's fun to kind of change the scene well well it is and i mean the Breeders' Cup was created to be a vehicle to showcase the best of our industry. Um, and that's why I would like to see it come back to New York at some point. The East Coast give you know fans an opportunity 
to see it in their backyard as opposed to having to get on planes and book hotels. It, you know, again, it's supposed to be a promotional tool. We're going to talk a little bit uh, these next couple of minutes uh, about the sprint. Uh, one of the most exciting races, six furlongs, fast and furious, some of the fastest horses in the world. And, and, and I think that the conversation in this race, in this year's edition, should start with horses that names start with Jack. We'll go with Jackie's Warrior, the elder of the two. Uh, what did you think of Jackie's Warriors' performances this summer at Saratoga? And, and do you hold his last race against him? I, I don't hold the last race against him. Uh, I think he got run, run down by a good horse in Cody's Wish. I also wonder if he's not a horse that would be a little better served going faster. Now, turning back to six, I don't think Joel Rosario is going to be as careful as he was going seven. Also, I think there's a little bit of overconfidence that comes with winning as easily as Jackie's Warrior was winning. So then when you really reach, need to reach down and get it, it's almost like a bit of a surprise. I think that he'll be a little bit more honed for this. I think they'll let him bounce going six furlongs. Why, why save anything? It's his last start of his career. So th there's no tomorrow, basically, as far as racing goes. I love that his last work was as sharp as it is. Steve Asmussen is a master at preparing a horse for the challenge in front of him. And I just love the way he raised the tempo and his penul penultimate work being 58 and three. That signals to me that this horse is going to be honed for the best race of his life. And, and if you look at Steve Asmussen's typical works, you don't see 58s. You see 103s. With, with talented racehorses, uh, the fact that, that, that Jackie was able to do that, I think kind of signals to how ready he might be. And then there's the other Jack, Jack Christopher, um, the three-year-old taking on olders, but he's been brilliant around one turn. If you owned, trained, or rode Jack Christopher, would you be happy about the decision to run in the sprint, or would you be hoping for the mile? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I just think because it's a two-turn mile there at Keeneland, I, I think they went the right direction, keeping him at one turn. And he's fast. Let's not, you know, undersell how quick he is. I mean, he's got the ability to stalk, which is beautiful. And I also think post positions are going to play a very strong hand in exactly how this race shapes up. But um, he's tactical. He's quick. I mean, his Alan Jerkins, you know, laying off a 22 flat, 44 and two, and finishing the way he did – I don't think six furlongs is any issue at all. He's one for one at the six furlong distance. Anytime you've got a, a, a good three-year-old, you've got to try to stretch them out. You've got to see where you fit trying to get those more classic distances. I think they recognize right away after the Haskell, hey, this is a good horse, but he doesn't want to go that far, and he's better around one turn. It's interesting, though. He's three. He looks like I would believe he's going to have a four-year-old campaign. Jackie's Warriors five. This is the last race of his life. I just think they're they're meeting at different stages of their career. And it was always my experience watching good horses as a kid, you know, affirmed uh, was beaten by Seattle slew when affirmed was three Seattle slew was four affirmed beat up on spectacular bid when affirmed was four spectacular bid was three. And I just going to always give a little bit of the edge to the older horse in these situations. When it comes to the distance uh, of the sprint, uh, this, you know, the, the, the boys edition is at six furlongs, the Phillies is at seven. I think that has something to do with why we're going to see Kamari 
likely run against the boys going the six furlongs. Do you have any preference or thoughts about those distances? Do you wish the Phillies were at six? Are you glad they're at, se at seven? Do you wish the boys were at seven? Are you glad they're at six? Do you have any feelings about those two distances as it relates to those two races? Well, you know, before there was a Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint, you got Phillies in the Breeders' Cup Sprint, um, and, and they won it as well. Um, so I think in some respects, having a, a Philly and Mare Sprint is going to detract or take away or water down a little bit the Breeders' Cup Sprint. So I, I am happy that they are two separate distances because Kamari, obviously, Wesley Ward feels she's better going six, and he's going to take her his best chance against the boys as opposed to stretching out another furlong with the Phillies and mares going seven. Um, I, so I am happy that they're different distances, albeit a, a furlong, but that furlong could be an awful long furlong for some horses. It could be heartbreak alley. Do you like her chances? She's been running well. I mean, her last two races are pretty impressive. Her speed figures have really taken a step forward. She's a very consistent horse. She's been good for a very long time. And it's in Wesley Ward's backyard. I feel like Wesley's horses can sometimes overachieve a little bit in Keeneland. He, he understands the way that racetrack is configured, and his horses often run well there. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a little bit of element of the home field advantage there. Um, uh, and she's in good form. And you can never discount a horse out that's in that good form. Now, again, She's gotten some really nice setups in small fields being drawn outside and could just kind of stalk and follow. What's going to happen if she's drawn inside, inside some of these other, you know, speed types and some of these big, strong Colts? Like you think about from a physical perspective, Jackie's Warriors, this massive, imposing individual. Kamari, a little bit finer. You know, she, she's, a, she's a, a mare, doesn't have a great deal of size to her. Body contact is something you have to think about, particularly in sprints. The starts are so critical. There's more contact in sprints because everybody's leaving the gate a bit looser. They're not leaving into their hands. They're, they're sending horses. Horses have a tendency to go left or right. In this day and age where we don't see gate fouls adjudicated, there's going to be horses that are going to get bounced around leaving the starting gate. So, again, post positions are going to be critical. And if Kamari draws outside the other main speeds again and she can sit that kind of trip, you have to respect her because she's shown her talent. A little late to the party in terms of, of, of horses like Jackie's Warrior and Kamari and Aloha West, last year's Breeders' Cup Sprint Champion. What did you think about Elite Power? We saw Elite Power a couple of times uh, this, this, uh, this summer and early fall in New York. Speed figure's not that impressive, but he's on a four-race win streak and he's been visually impressive. Visually impressive, a horse that's kind of, you've watched the maturation. Always a, a very strong, physically imposing individual. Didn't really see the mental progress until his fourth start. And now it's like you can see a much more professional horse, much more focused horse. But if you look at the Vosberg, that was a glacial pace for these caliber of horses. So he did what he was supposed to do, and he was impressive doing it. He's going to see a whole different kind of heat. I mean, I think if you, you, you want to put it in baseball analogies, it's like hitting a, a, a guy in the AAA and then going up to the show and the kind of smoke he's going to throw. It's going to be a little bit of a, I think, a shock to him as fast as they're going to go early here compared to what he got to do in the Vosburg. Richie, if, if, if you got to have your choice to, to be on the front end when they turn for home in the Breeders' Cup sprint or – sitting sixth with a 44 fractions in front of you, what, what would be your preferred ride in that situation? 
Well, again, you just said it. Pace makes the race. If they're going extremely fast and it's contested, of course, you'd rather be on a closing type of horse that's comfortable doing that. I don't know how you're looking at this sprint. I'm not seeing the kind of speed we've seen in some previous Breeders' Cup sprints. I mean, they're fast horses, but I don't know that we're going to get that 21, 44, even we've seen 43 and change at times. I'd want to be on Jackie's Warrior. And I'd want to be on the lead and I want you to come and have to catch me. And I'm not leaving any meat on the bone. This is his hurrah. We're going all in, all in, all you can eat right there. Come and get me. Well, based on the way that they worked Jackie's warrior last time, I'd imagine he will be forwardly placed. And I agree with you. There's, there's not that kind of like has to go to the front 44 type in here. Feels like all the horses that are forwardly placed don't have to find themselves on the front end. It should be a very, very interesting race between the two Jacks and, and, and the Philly, uh, or the mayor, excuse me, in Kamari, the previous champ in Aloha West. One of my favorite races of the Breeders' Cup, uh, the need for speed at its finest. Need for speed, post position's critical, start's critical, and having a horse sharp on the day. And that's what I'm seeing with Jackie's Warrior. So it should be a good one. Well, Richie, I, I, I will let you get back to, to your new job. Uh, as a grandfather, congratulations, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Next up in our series of Monster Pod videos, or on the actual Monster Pod, if you're listening instead of watching, we've got a discussion of the Breeders' Cup Mile and bringing in a man who follows international racing closely and domestic racing closely. And I always want to talk to him ahead of the big races. You see him on TVG. You've been watching him on the Keeneland Simulcast feed. He's Scott Hazelton. Scott, how are things? Things are good. Getting uh, getting down to it. Final days of of this Keeneland Fall meets, and then obviously pivoting towards uh, uh, the invaders that'll be coming here and, and getting ready for the Breeders' Cup and, and getting ready for those morning shows. Those are uh, early mornings, but good good fun and a good way to get uh, ready for the big day. Watching these horses train and just uh, you know getting a feel for uh, how they've adapted to to the cooler temperatures that we'll be dealing with, no doubt, in those early mornings uh, here in Lexington. It's great stuff watching that morning show coverage and you can find terrific info year in, year out. Suggest that you, you make sure to check that out. What's the best way for people to follow along with that stuff? I know it's available in more than one place. Yeah, well, FanDuel TV is where it will air uh, in those mornings uh, from 7 a.m. Uh, to 10 a.m. Eastern time. But if you're not up and, and uh, available to watch those, uh, they're going to be posted on on the FanDuel TV YouTube channel. Um, and honestly, I think the best way would be the FanDuel Plus app, which was formerly Watch TVG. So you can download that on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV. They'll be on demand there. So you can punch it up on your big 75-inch screen and, and recap <laughs> what we see in the mornings with those workouts and uh, the reactions from from the connections that we, we come across. So I think with the FanDuel Plus app would be uh, the best way in order to access it. But the YouTube channel is another avenue as well. What a host fail, as I mentioned, TVG in the intro and not FanDuel TV. I'll get used to it eventually. It'll happen. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this Breeders' Cup mile. Now, this is a race where there was a point, maybe a few days after the Woodbine Mile, where if you asked me about the market in this race, I would have said, oh, modern games, four to five shot. That was before a couple of key pieces of, uh, of information were learned. One was that modern games was going to, in what was to me somewhat of a surprise, run again in the QE2 at Champions Day at Ascot. And the other was that a multiple grade one, group one, I should say, winner in Kinross was going to be coming over here. Now we're seeing prices like two to one, five to two, three to one. Let's talk about modern games to, for starters. How impressed are you with this horse 
and how legit of a favorite do you think he is, or is he even the favorite at this point? I, I mean, I, I think it remains to be seen. It's a wide open race. I mean, I, you know, with you mentioning Ken Ross coming in off of his run at, uh, at Longchamp at the beginning of the month, um, he's got to be respected. I, I, I just wonder with, with the modern games going to, to the, to the QE2, if it had a lot to do with, with Appleby in the, the trainers uh, run. And, and that was something that was brought up to me that I think that we lose track of in, in, in covering these races or watching these races, because it, it's just not part of the focus here in the U S it's just not the same sort of uh, mentality set up as far as declaring a champion trainer at the end of the season. We obviously vote on it um, when it comes to the eclipse awards in there, it, it's dictated by, by what the, the bankroll at the end of the season. So that might've had something to do with it. And I don't think Charlie Appleby would come over here with this cold if, if he wasn't doing okay off of that run, um, which I mean, by got beat the same day. So I, I, I still think modern games coming around to Ben is going to be a big plus for him. And the way that he ran here in last year at the age of two, the way he won that Woodbine mile, which was arguably the most impressive grade one mile race in North America. I, I still think you've got to give him a lot of respect um, I, I don't have a feel for Ken Ross. I'll be completely and utterly honest with you. I, I know he's won his last three starts. He won a group one in that most recent one over soft ground, but what kind of grounds he going to encounter um, come the beginning of, of November here at Keeneland? Cause it's been dry. We have barely gotten any rain over the last month or so. So it might not be the conditions that Ken Ross wants um, come the beginning that first weekend of, of November here in Lexington. It's a fair point. And, you know, distance also a question. Typically, the sprinters from, from there and horses that will translate six furlong form to a mile uh, in the USA. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. He's a horse we're going to be covering a lot more. We'll get a chance to clap eyes on him during the week. We're going to have a ton of coverage of Euros in general. Um, as for modern games, to just go back to him for a minute, for me, the difference at the end of the day, I do think the ground will move him up. I think the bend will move him up. I'm not too worried about having the race in between, but just knowing that that was a bit of an audible. And I think your suspicion is probably right that the, the trainer's title over there had something to do with it. Instead of the four to five or even money, I was thinking it was, I'd probably want six to five or seven to five. So for me and my like head cannon, still a big favorite, but I do think you have to make some adjustments for that slight change in plan. But with the success that Applebee's had over here, I, I think you'd be, a little bit nuts to completely stand in his way, at least from a horizontal betting perspective. Let's talk about the domestic contingent for a minute. Not that there aren't other uh, interesting shippers and, and euros who are going to be showing up and, and maybe we'll, if I can steal you for a few minutes next week, when we have PPs in hand, Scott, maybe we'll revisit this topic on one of the daily breeders cup pods I, I plan on doing, but let's talk about the domestic contingent for the, for a moment. Who do you think is the most interesting from our side of the pond? I, I hate to go with, I mean, you react to what's happened lately, right? And I think that Annapolis has punched himself as a serious miler, especially when you're a three-year-old that that just beat a group of seasoned older horses as he did in the Coolmore uh, mile here at Keeneland. Um, that was a very good performance. And, you know, we've talked about how Todd Pletcher, what kind of fall he's had here in Kentucky, this horse um, spending time here, I think, is a big plus. But that was a really top-notch performance uh, in which he was able to put that together, the three-year-old Colt for Ramona Bass and, and Bass Racing. So I think that he has elevated himself above 
uh, a group of horses that we've seen a lot of. I mean, these are, these are horses and, and it's, it's great. It's great that we're seeing these horses stay in training. Casa Creed at the age of six, still, still getting after it. Um, you know, he ran a solid fifth, only beating two lengths in the Coolmore mile. Ivar always tends to show up, it seems for, for Paulo Lobo and then smooth, like straight, smooth, like straight. I still have yet to find a reason. And honestly, um, just have not had the time to, to dig into it, why they opted to skip the, the Coolmore turf mile um, here at Keeneland. But, you know, he's a consistent contender that always uh, sets the pace. He hasn't won in a while, but, you know, you've got to respect him, especially if the ground is quick here um, in Lexington, which I think we'll probably uh, end up seeing, haven't seen an advanced forecast this far out. But like you said, it's been very dry here. But, you know, of the U.S. domestic type horses, I would say that Annapolis with that performance has separated himself um, in this mile division with the, the domestic runners. Improving three-year-old late in the season, big run over the course and a trainer that could not be hotter. These are all reasons why I think it would be a mistake to dismiss Annapolis's chances out of hand. Any other uh, European contenders you're hearing about who you might be interested in? It sounds like Bayside Boy who beat Modern Games is going to be making the trip over. Any Anything there that you might want to pause on for a second? Uh, and again, we'll return to I like this idea of returning to this topic when we have the actual PPs and know more about the, the, the exact composition of the field. But just want to give you a chance. I know you follow European racing pretty closely. Yeah, I mean, you got to respect him if, if they come over with Bayside Boy. Um, and then, I mean, Order of Australia – you know, he's been, he's been the definition of inconsistent over the course of his career. He obviously sprung that massive upset a couple of years back um, in the Breeders' Cup mile with that aggressive ride from, from the outside post drawing in off the also eligible. And, you know, he came back with a, a good run in the Coolmore mile as well. Um, just the other day, um, not showing much speed, but actually showing some finish with Sumian in the saddle. And we'll see what direction they go with um, as far as the rider. I would assume Ryan Moore will be back with him if, if in fact he's coming this way, but you know, I think that I think that the European runners, it's it's modern games, it's Ken Ross um, that you have to really focus your attention on. And, and like you said, we'll see how they see how they uh, who they decide to send this way. And then I think a big thing for me in, in the opportunities that we have is just getting an opportunity to, to, to watch these horses, to look at them and, and the way that they are training and the way that they look and the way they've shipped once they get out here to uh, Kentucky. A lot more information coming. You can watch along on FanDuel. You should be following Scott on Twitter as well at Scott FDTV is the handle there. We're going to try to have him back on. And we're going to have loads of coverage, of course, over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and then even more uh, via in the money plus in the money podcast.com slash plus. If you want to learn more about that, Scott, thank you for your time. I look forward to seeing you in person and chatting again soon. All right, travel safe. Looking forward to, uh, for everybody to, to get in town so we can get after it. Nikki, the boss. What's up, my man? What's going on? You know, it's, uh, it's starting to get cold outside. I've been in Texas and now I'm back in New York and it's freezing, uh, suddenly cold all of a sudden again. It's probably 80 uh, at home, right? I mean, what's, what's it like in Houston right now? Well, we're actually getting a cold front come through today. That's why the roof's going to be closed for games one and two. Um, it's about 75 right now, but it's supposed to rain around noontime. And tomorrow the high is only 68, which for us is really the danger zone. I actually heard that the weather's supposed to be good uh, at Keeneland for Breeders' Cup. I've heard 75 as the high. That's, that's the word. Yeah, nationwide uh, kind of warm front next week, which, hey, that'll be nice. That's You know, when we went in 2015, it really wasn't cold. It was just dreary. 
you know, it was just gray yeah. and, and the sun never came out, especially on my wagering. Um, <laughs> well, well, this year we wanted to have you on. I, I wanted to have you specifically because I feel like one of the hardest races, or at least the most talked about races to make a line for. Uh, and, and you'll be doing the morning line for all 14 races, Breeders' Cup races and the undercar races as well, uh, was the distaff. And, and I know that you take your your task seriously in, in making those lines. And so I figured you spent a lot of time looking at these races in depth to try to predict, predict what the public was going to do. Uh, what have you come up with so far with just the pre-entries? Who, who are you going to make the favorite? You know, so this is a funny one because one of the difficult tasks of, about making a morning line, the most thankless job in horse racing, is um, separating yourself from your own wagering ideas. And I would never bet Nest in this race under virtually any circumstance. And it has nothing to do with any kind of dislike I have for her. I think she's really good. I think she's a deserving Eclipse Award winner. This is just a lot like, you know, your backgrounds in football. And when Boise State would play some of those the, that you know cupcake schedule on the blue turf and then they'd play a big team at the end of the season from a betting perspective Boise State was always interesting because they were always a big underdog Nest is kind of like Boise State but favored and I think that's the problem is that the public is going to really hone in on all of those ones because the public loves ones they're going to see blowout margins they're going to see uh, an in-the-money finish in a triple crown race, and they're really going to get in on her. And, you know, I don't want to say that I sort of crowdsourced this morning line, but I threw a little chum in the water a few weeks ago and and asked, you know, what – I put the PPs of Nest, Clarier, and Malathot up, and I said, you know, what what do these horses go off price-wise? And it wasn't because I was going to really base my opinion on that, but I really wanted to see what the public did. And overwhelmingly, the support is there for Nest. So I'm going to have Nest at about eight or nine to five – her stablemate Mala thought around five to two or three to one. And um, and then everybody else is going to kind of filter out from there. But, you know, it, it becomes a difficult task from there as well, because what do you do with a horse like Clarier? You know, Clarier was a huge favorite in the personal engine. And, you know, in very un like fashion, in my opinion, he didn't bring her back for another race before the Breeders' Cup distaff, which I really, really wish he had, just so we could get a gauge on what exactly happened last time. Because the Clarier that we saw in the Apple Blossom, the Phipps, and the Shoe V, she'd win this race. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I guess there's the 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 built-in excuse uh, that she has for that race where she, I guess she bit her tongue. Um, and and Steve feels like that was part of her, her, her you know, and it, it makes sense. I think some people might scoff at that idea, but you know, if you bite your tongue and you're out there, someone's pulling on your mouth, you might pull on the brakes a little bit. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that idea. And I think she'll probably be a good enough price that if you feel like that is a, a legitimate excuse, you might have some opportunity there with the other two Todd Pletcher runners taking a majority of the money. Yeah. I mean, and I, I will tell you, I was live watching the race. We were sitting probably between the 16th pole and the finish line. And there was a lot of noise in that gate. And so it sounded like, you know, she may have hit into the gate before. And, um, and then it was just a listless performance, right? I mean, it was, it's one thing for her to have run poorly and, and to have chased the pace and maybe gotten tired or something like that, but she was just a no-show almost as if something else had to have gone wrong. And I mean, and Asmussen, I trust in terms of, of continuing on with her and bringing her back for this race. So I think from a tactical perspective, the horse that really holds a lot of the keys to this race is society because society is very fast 
and she's likely to get a, a pretty unencumbered lead. And, you know, I kind of see it as a, a relay race where she probably passes the baton to search results, who when push comes to shove is probably a little bit better, shorter than a mile and an eighth. And, you know, and then you're going to have Nest, Clarier, and Malathot waiting in the wings from that point. And, you know, Malathot is, is such a grinder that I think, and, and has performed so well at Keeneland, that if you get her in gear early enough, you know, I think she's just going to kind of be a freight train that's going to be tough to hold off. It feels like she's kind of as good as she's been and as, as ridiculous as it is to say about a horse that has her resume, she's sort of the now horse. Yeah. As much as I want to lean on the top two in here from a, from a, you know, a wagering perspective, you know, you're playing a, a multi-race bet. I'd like to think that, that I could nest Malathot, turn the page. But the problem is, is that you can really see any one of these horses winning, like not any of them, but most of them society, right? If she runs her race last time, like you mentioned, she gets loose out on the front end. She's a horse that could wire these, these horses based on her speed figure last time. Secret oath is going to have to go all the way back to the spring to find a race. I think to be able to win this one, but it's always possible, right? Maybe she likes getting back to Kentucky. Maybe she appreciates the mile and an eighth. Maybe she needed some time off. Maybe there was a lot they were asking her to do. Or maybe she just went sour. I'm voting for the last one. She went sour. But she's the type of horse I think you could consider as well. But search results is one I did want to spend a little bit of time on because her race uh, in at Belmont um, in the in the Phipps was one of my favorite races of hers all year long. And she was deep. I think if she could run that race, she could find that performance. I think she could be dangerous. I totally agree. I mean, and I think she's by far and away the forgotten horse in this race. And, um, and by no means does she deserve, you know, no billing. She deserves to, to certainly have a lot of attention paid to her. As you mentioned, Mary Phipps was sensational. And, and I thought she ran pretty well in the personal ends and all things considered, you know, the, the interesting thing from a tactical perspective is, you know, she's had to watch dog Latruska a couple of times in, in the Phipps and the uh, personal ends. And I think, you know, if the connections had it to do over again, they probably would say, you know, we shouldn't have been as worried about Latruska as we were, but, you know, we're all thinking of the 2021 Latruska who could basically wire almost any field full of, of female horses. So I wonder if you don't want to play it fast and loose with society, right? I mean, you're not going to let society get too clear because then she might get a little bit brave too. I just wonder how many of these horses that are going to be forced to potentially go a little bit quicker early than they might want to could ultimately pay a little bit of a price as well. So search results could really get a good trip stalking a substantially slower pace than she's had to in both the personal ends and, and the FIPS. And, you know, that will, that will obviously improve her chances quite a bit. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to the eighth pole of this race and search results is in front and you've got those three big timers running at her. Nick, if you were forced, uh, which we're not forced in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge to play all of these races, but if you were kind of forced to, to play a, you know, a thousand dollars into this race, um, how do you feel like you would attack it? Would you, would you try to attack? I know you're a huge fan of the tribe pool. Is that, would you try to attack it there? And if so, how, how would you do that? So I think I would zag here instead of, of zigging. And uh, if she was three to one or better, I'd bet all my money on Malathot to win. There you go. That's easy. That's an I mean, easy, it's worked, easy. It worked one. for you, right? Hey, look. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't. Monomoy girl wasn't three to one. No, uh, she was not. And and I think you know. I mean, I. I play it fast and loose as somebody who's, you know, just bullshitting with you and not playing the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, because obviously it's a little conflict of interest. But um, yeah, I mean, I would have no problem if I had eight, $9,000, you know, especially with the guys that I generally play these contests with telling them, look, we're going to try and, and get this eight and turn it into, 
to 32 so that we've got some bullets to fire in the turf and the classic. And, and I don't think it would take much convincing because I think that's a great price on her. I think she'll probably end up somewhere around there. I'm hoping the public just comes in really, really hard on Nest. What, what tactics do you think that they're going to use for Nest? I mean, I think one of the things that's great about her is that she's, she can go forward. She can also come from, from out of it. What do you think that they'll do in this situation with her? I think probably similar to the Ashland. I'm sure they're, they're kind of hoping for an outside post. She writes very comfortably on the outside. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about Ness that I have to give her a lot of credit for is that her coaching club, American Oaks, while she beat, you know, three totally overmatched, four totally overmatched rivals, she was, she set a hot pace, but by time from us standards. So she's faster, obviously a lot faster early than horses like Malathot and Clarier. I think with her, what you're trying to do because she has that really quick step and can kind of burst away is you're trying to get the jump on the, on the deeper closers and, um, and just hope that they can't come and get you. So she's probably in that flight just behind search results, but also ahead of Malathot and Clarier, hoping that they can, can beat them to the punch. Not the largest field we'll see uh, next weekend or coming up weekend, depending on when you're watching this, the first Friday and Saturday it, uh, in the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland, but it, it is one of my favorite races. I, I can't wait to see what happens here. It's going to be a showdown of some really talented older mares. It's one of the most consistent divisions I think we saw all year with really good horses just showing up and showing up and showing up. So it's going to be a, a ton of fun to see what happens here. And boss man, we wish you the best of luck with your lines that everyone seems to probably care way too much about. And we'll miss you uh, this year, and good luck with your Astros. I appreciate it. I will. Uh, I'll certainly be there. So I'm ready to. I'm ready to be at the Breeders' Cup and just enjoy it as a fan as much as possible. Embrace your inner villain. So go Astros. Subscribe, comment, talk about Nick's Astros shirt if you want to. Uh, follow us, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast. You know the deal. We'll see you guys next week. Next up in our Monster Pod series that we're dropping as individual videos on youtube we've got the breeders cup turf and we've got a man here who you've heard talk international racing on our airways before you've also read his work has been a member of the breeders cup notes team and just an international expert all around michael adolfson welcome back how are you doing well thank you for having me it's um talking about the turf is one of my favorite things all year so i've been watching a lot of these races all around the world and hopefully my predictions can work out again one of the reasons why I had you on, in fact, relates to that. And it was to, to let you do a little bit of a victory lap, as it were. <laughs> you've been very high on Bay Bridge for much of the season. And your confidence in him uh, certainly delivered at uh, Champions Day. Are, mm. Is this a horse who you're, you're still with as we head to the Breeders' Cup turf? I, I think I'm with him as an A horse, uh, you know, as, as, as on the top. I think there are probably three horses that I consider just the big, strong threats in the race. Um, but I, I'm going to try to beat him um, a little bit on value, a little bit on the fact that I think that there's a horse that will beat him. Okay. I like the sound of that. Let's go right there. Who You already confidently okay. sound like have a selection this far out, which we love to hear. Yeah, I like Nation's Pride to win the race. Um, I think he's... He draws some parallels, not physically at all. He's about half the size of him, but uh, he's to Yabir from last year. Um, but he's he, he's a horse that I just, if you watch the Jockey Club Derby, he was just so impressive. Uh, his closing numbers are, are out of this world. They are with any horse in this race, um, and if not better. And he has a sort of a trajectory where, like, he's had these two months off to really progress the way Yabir did last year. And if he moves forward again, he's the kind of horse who's had the 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 training and the and the 
this summer, this summer he's had the American style learning how to race that I think will, will put him in a spot that he's just going to be perfect. It'd be interesting if William chooses him. I think he will in the long run. I think that he just knows Rebels Romance. We've seen as good as he can be, um, but we don't know how good Nation's Pride is. And I think that he, he was the A-horse for Godolphin in the Derby earlier this year. And I think that says a lot. Mm-hmm. And right now you're sitting at six to one, I think, with him. Um, in the international market, which you look at half that price for Bay Bridge, and even his stablemate Rebels Romance is nine to two, seven to two, depending on where you look. Uh, yeah, he's to me, he's he's sitting at a nice price. I hope he comes off of that six and close to ten uh, in the paramutuals, um, and I'll hit him hard there. But to me, he's a key horse on top, uh, and I'm just going to play under him. So, if Nation's Pride is this year's Yabir, does that make Rebels Romance this year's Walton Street with the German form coming into here? I, it is interesting. Who's significantly shorter in the international markets? Yeah. But give me your analysis of him and what you think we can expect. Walton Street just came for the ride last year, I think. He was just at the end of his, you know, he, he's a horse that just kind of earned his way in, and it wasn't like they were pointing toward the, the Breeders' Cup. Rebels Romance has been pinpointed for this race for a long time, ever since the summer when he started sort of developing and proving that he, he can win on the grass. Not only that, but he can win in these, these softer group ones in Germany. Uh, he's stepping up markedly in, in class. Uh, and I'm not sure that the running of the race in America is really going to suit him. He has one around a left-handed bend. He's a tremendous horse. He's won on, on all-weather dirt in a Group 2, in the Group 2 UAE Derby. And he also won, you know, two soft Group 1s in, in, in Germany. But he's going to have to prove that he's moved forward again. And he's a big hawking horse, big black stallion. Let me know he's a gelding. But, um, but, you know, he's he's one that will catch your eye. But I'll take Nation's Pride 10 times over him. What about the chances that we see a glory days run from Mishriff in this spot? If you cherry pick his best bits of form, I feel like he could absolutely be there with the horses we've been talking about. I think his form's a little darkened, running in a couple of spots that were maybe Mm -hmm. not where he was going to be seen to his best effect. What do you think of Mishriff for the turf? I encourage everyone to rewatch his arc. Just, just, Just put an ISO on him and just watch him. He ran a very good race. Uh, I think he's smart enough in his older age now. He's he's only five, but he's just been around the world, and he's a very mature horse uh, that he was just – in the last 100 meters, he wasn't going to run a lick. He was like, I had enough mud on me. I can't breathe. I'm done. <laughs> but the, the 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 move that William made on him up the inside, he split horses, came out. You know, for that for a quarter mile of that 3-8 three, three, three stretch there, he really gave it the Mishriff run. He just had no chance. He came from last in basically bottomless ground um, mud, and he just he didn't like that at all. So I think that going back to firmer surface will help him. Getting five weeks is going to be perfect for him. And I'm hoping, and I tweeted this out earlier, I'm just hoping that I was looking at the jockey bookings. I'm like, Frankie's not booked yet. I hope Frankie gets on him because I think that's going to, well, it's going to lower his price. But I, th- I think I'll put him as my number two in the race over Bay Bridge um, because I, you know, it's, it's a, it, to me, if, you, if, if I'm separating this race, I know I called Bay Bridge an A-horse earlier, but my A-plus horse, I'm putting, I'm putting Nation's Pride on top, hopefully hits it at a price, runs a huge race. I'm putting probably is my, is, is, is my B-slot horses. I'm putting three other Euros. Sorry, Warlike Goddess. Uh, I'm putting uh, in Bay Bridge, Rebels Romance, um, and Mischief. And I'm hoping that, you know, the, the prices work out in my favor uh, in that regard. And then under that, you have some of the ones, some of the Americans that I think will run well, uh, mostly because they know how to run around these American-type courses. And 
you know, I, I respect where like goddess. I think she's the best turf horse in America. Um, you know, I think domestic spending might have something to say about that. Uh, but you know, I think she is, she's earned her way into that title. She got an, an easy, perfect trip last time, but she kind of earned the win as well. So I, but I, she's stepping up tremendously in class and she proved last year um, that when she's in a fight, she's not exactly as effective as when she puts them to bed. And if people are going to say she moved early last year, I don't think moving early is possible at Del Mar because the stretch is five feet long. <laughs> and you're, and I think she moved when she had to, to win the race and she couldn't win the race against superior Phillies. So, you know, and, and, to me, she's running against even better horses this year. I pick her in the mix. She's in that slot, but I just don't think she's going to step up against these horses. Who are the other Americans that you're interested in maybe messing around with to get a piece underneath? It seemed like you had some uh, affinity for, for one or two. I mean, both of the motions, I think, have a big chance of getting into the third and fourth slot if they get really lucky. Bye-bye Melvin and Highland Chief. Um, I, I, I thought Bye Bye Melvin's race was really good at Saratoga. He stepped up out of inferior quality race, jumped into a grade one, uh, and just ran huge. And the thing is, if you look at the end of the race in the final eighth, he's not stopping. You know, he's running through the line and he's holding off everyone except, you know, the mayor obviously stuffed him like a turkey. But, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those situations where you want to see this horse that has some guts to him the same way Channel Maker did when he ran a good, good what, third in this race two years ago on this track. So I think he's got a shot at uh, mixing it up. Highland Chief, he just can't. He's always been a quality horse, and um, he's a group two horse, a uh, grade two horse. I think he'll be in the mix. Um, I mean, there's not really a lot. The only, other, the only other price that I would maybe play with is seeing maybe if Stone Age gets lost a little bit in the mix for Aiden. Uh, I thought he ran a huge race three weeks ago. Uh, that should set him up properly, but he just – he has to be ridden forwardly and in his American races, they're just not pushing him forward. They need to, they need to quarter horse him out and let him use his stride. And they haven't done that yet here. But if he does, if he gets loose on the lead, he'll be in the top four. What if Broom, who ran so big unexpectedly in this race last year, would you give him any chance to, to come I think after something? You look at this race, you look at the race last year and I think everything with him depends on everything with him depends on who rides him. Um, Last year, he was lucky enough to pick up Irad. Irad rode a beautiful race on him, a winning race. He just got swallowed by a monster on the outside in Dubir. Um, oh, that race would have won a couple of these turfs. So I, I, I think that, you know, it depends on how he's ridden, how he adapts to everything. He does well with American racing, but he's still a cut below the very best. And he's not running. This is not the sword dancer. You know, this is... This is the Breeders' Cup turf. This is this is five lengths faster than the Sword Dancer, yes. and he's going to have to run that much better. Yes. Now it all makes sense. We're going to have you back with us after you get a chance to see these horses in person. We're doing daily Breeders' Cup podcasts out there, and we'll make sure to have you and Vanessa to do a last look at the Euros because I know your opinions are going to be a lot more formed when you have a chance to see some of these in the flesh around Keeneland. But this is from this far out a fantastic view at this race. We encourage folks mm -hmm. also. To sign up to our In The Money Plus service. Going to have a lot of extra European info on there, inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. Check back on the YouTube channel. Going to be plenty of content on here. We're going to, in the end, have 14 videos, one for each of the Breeders' Cup races, and then we're going to stitch them all together as the Monster Pod. Any closing thoughts from you, my friend, about the turf or anything else uh, before we get out of here? I will say the one thing I'm sticking with right now is that a lot of people are going to go after Applebee's obvious players. Um, because he's done so well the last few years. But remember, Applebee's five of his six wins have been in California. Only one was in Kentucky. 
Um, you got to see whether or not these horses suit the way his Kentucky winner did. And I think that two of these horses, Nation's Pride and Creative Force, are going to be the most likely winners. And the other ones that everyone else likes, Silver Knot and Modern Games, are going to be overbet. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, we'll have plenty of time to unpack and talk more about that as we get closer to the day. Michael, folks should be following you. If you're listening to the audio version at Adolfson Racing on Twitter, tons of good info on there about international and domestic racing. Michael, we look forward to seeing you at the Breeders' Cup. Thanks for having me as always. The Breeders' Cup Classic, always a fascinating race, maybe more so than usual this year. PTF with you here back in the bunker, bringing in a guest we love to talk with on our airwaves. We just had him over on Horse Player Happy Hour. We're here to get his thoughts on the classic. You know him from the NBC broadcast, his work with the Buyer Speed Figure team. Randy Moss, how are things? Hey, um, things are fine, Pete. Getting ready for the Breeders' Cup. The classic in particular is... I did something uh, cheeky to you on the airwaves of, of Horse Player Happy Hour when I asked you about that one horse, but I excluded this race. I was assuming if you just had one horse to watch, if I were to make you pick one, and I gave you the, the, the whole open playing field, I'm assuming it would be in this race. Is that, is that reasonable? I think that's a pretty good assumption, Pete, with Flightline. Uh, I mean, we'll dive into this, but, you know... It, this race is so fascinating from a historical perspective, from a legacy perspective uh, regarding flight line that, in my opinion, if just average sports fans out there that know nothing about horse racing knew all the particulars about this particular about this race and flight line and what was sort of at stake watching flight line uh, from just an athletic achievement standpoint. The, the ratings for this race would be off the charts. People that knew nothing about horse racing would tune in just to see if Flightline's performance in the Pacific Classic could really be for real and could really be the standard that this horse will have uh, in the Breeders' Cup Classic. It's really, really compelling. Let's talk about this race from a figure point of view first. Because okay. I think it's really interesting to see where the buyer team landed with the 126 figure on flight line. I heard a lot of figure maker types right after the race heading into the final round of Breeders' Cup prep saying, you know what, that figure could have even been higher. I feel like the 126 after the last round of Breeders' Cups and seeing that some of those horses run back comes out smelling like a rose and looking exactly right. Where do you stand with that 126 figure? You're feeling really good about it. And then, of course, the bigger question, what do you expect him to do figure-wise in the Breeders' Cup Classic? Yeah, well, sometimes, it, you know, unfortunately, more often than, uh, uh, than we would prefer, there's a little bit of, uh, of wiggle room when it comes to uh, making speed figures, uh, especially nowadays. You get r racetracks that card so many grass races and a few dirt races to look at, and, you know, there, there's not a, a big uh, sort of body of, uh, of evidence on any given race day as to what the variant should be on dirt. Del Mar on the day of the Pacific Classic wasn't exactly one of those. We would have preferred to see more dirt races even than we did see more two-turn dirt races. We obviously spent a lot of time on the figure for this race, and we all, the three of us really, Andy Byer, Mark Hopkins, and myself, came to the conclusion that the most logical speed figure was the 126 that we assigned flight line. But it, you can also make a case that the figure could have been as high as a 132. 
I, I, we stand by 126. I think 126 is the most likely. And if it's the most likely, that's the one you have to go by. But it's not inconceivable that Flightline could have run as fast as a 132, which obviously in the world of thoroughbred racing is other otherworldly. And it puts him right up there with Secretariat's uh, 31 linked win in the Belmont. What was the figure now? Well, they weren't published back then, but if you have it off the top of your head, what was the, the Secretariat Belmont figure? Yeah, Andy's done a lot of work on that uh, in the decades since. And I believe Andy came up with 136 or so as the uh, as the likely fig for that Belmont day. <laughs> the 126 uh, in its own, you know, 126, 132. Uh, from, a, from a horse playing point of view, how much does it even matter? It's so far ahead of what we're used to seeing horses run in the modern era, in any era, really. Is this horse just completely nailed on for the Breeders' Cup Classic in your view? If we can dive into this a little bit, Pete, th- th- this is what I'm talking about now, what I'm about to get into that makes, I think, makes it so interesting, not just for horse racing fans, but just for sports fans in general, right? When you talk about athletic achievement in any sport, uh, the pinnacle of athletic achievement, I like to compare it to golf. I think that's a pretty good analogy. We all know uh, how good Tiger Woods was in his heyday. And uh, Tiger Woods, obviously, at his peak, was regarded as one of, if not the greatest golfer of all time by his contemporaries, uh, his predecessors like Jack Nicklaus, right? So as good as Tiger Woods was, if Tiger Woods had gone out, let's say, in the first round of the Masters and had shot a 62 on an extremely tough Augusta National course, right, everybody would be raving about how it was one of the single greatest rounds of golf ever played, right? But when Tiger Woods stepped on the tee for the first hole on day two of the Masters, no one would be expecting him to shoot another 62. Tiger wouldn't have expected himself to go out there and shoot 62 two days in a row. Why not? Well, because we had we have a long body of work in golf to look back on to tell us that it is highly improbable for anyone to go out and shoot back-to-back 62s. And we have a whole history of Tiger Woods beforehand that would suggest that, yes, he's capable of shooting a 62, but to make that the norm going forward is not impossible. If you can shoot a 62 once, you can shoot a 62 all four rounds, but it's just highly improbable, okay? When Secretariat won the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths and earned, we'll say, that 136 buyer speed figure, okay? He was he, he was beaten twice after that. You know, uh, he was beaten by Onion. He was beaten by Proveout. He never duplicated that 136. He ran some amazing races. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest horse of all time, certainly in modern times, I think most people would agree. Uh, but he never actually duplicated that Belmont Stakes again. Now, Flightline steps into a completely different, you know, sphere when he wins the Pacific Classic by 19 and three quarters lengths. Okay. Is it likely to be his normal race at a mile and a quarter? It's the best race he'd ever run in his career by far. It's the best race I think we've seen since Secretariat's Belmont Stakes. 
history would tell us that it's unlikely that he's going to come back and run that well again. But it was the first time in his life he had ever been around two turns. It was the first time in his life he had ever been a mile and a quarter. What if <laughs> flight line is the equivalent of a golfer who now can go out and make 62 the norm, the average? Okay. Can you imagine in any sport that sort of athletic excellence, you know, being put on display as sort of the par, as sort of the norm for any athlete, and for this case, a racehorse like Flightline. Now, does that make him unbeatable in the Breeders' Cup Classic? Secretariat was beaten twice after the Belmont. So, no. You, and you can pick out little points about Flightline in his running style that, you know, you could possibly envision uh, a vulnerability in the Classic. But it's just fascinating to see if, if this is going to be the norm, what we saw in the Pacific Classic, the norm for flight line at a mile and a quarter going forward. I think it's, I think it's amazing to think about. It's one of the great stories for sure that I've oh. seen in my time as a racing fan. Now I want to explore those vulnerabilities, but first I'll underline the case. And Jonathan Kinchin made this on one of our breeders cup prediction videos. I'll underline the case of why it could be the norm or as JK even had the wildness to suggest that, that he could even run a better number potentially the idea that we've seen for many horses that the second time they do something, they, they tend to be a little bit more familiar, ration their energy better, familiar with the task at hand, can do it better. The idea that the, the surface might be more lending to um, a faster effort and the idea that this is it. I mean, look, there's been some talk about maybe Flightline running at four or running at five. Um, I'm not necessarily buying it. I, I think this is probably it. Probably. Certainly the idea that the Pacific Classic, though, that they would ho have ho held something in reserve with the idea of this race, th that that impediment is out the window. So I'm definitely I have some sympathy for the idea that he could run as well, if not better. I want to talk about the other side of the coin, though, Randy. What are the vulnerabilities that you were you were describing? What did you see? Is that something you're seeing on the tape? Yeah, I, I could see one vulnerability, um, and that's pretty much it. When you. Uh, the day of the Pacific Classic, uh, I was at Saratoga to cover the Jockey Club Gold Cup for NBC. And uh, I had dinner with, uh, with my friend, Mr. Bailey, and another very prominent uh, person involved in the horse racing industry. I won't mention his name, but uh, knows as much about horse racing as anybody I know. And modern technology being as wonderful as it is, we could sit at dinner as we did and we could watch the Pacific Classic on our phones. And we talked about the Pacific Classic beforehand and this person, again, whose opinion I, I hold in unbelievably high esteem, uh, said that he believed that flight line was very vulnerable going a mile and a quarter because of his innate natural aggressiveness. And he had talked to people close to flight line who said that that is that's Flightline's norm? That Flightline is 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 not uncontrollable, but he can be very headstrong, and that could be he could be his own worst enemy, trying to ration his speed going a mile and a quarter. And for that reason, this guy thought that Flightline was vulnerable going into the Pacific Classic. And so we watched the race sitting at the dinner table. 
And flight line is nice and relaxed in the run through the stretch the first time. And he's nice and relaxed around the first turn. And then they turn onto the back stretch and he basically runs off with Flavian Pratt. And, and, and Pratt's got his feet in the dashboard and he's restraining flight line and flight line says the hell with this I'm going. And I'm thinking to myself right then, I'm thinking, uh Oh, uh Oh, this, this, he could be right. You know, this could be a situation. I mean, we're at the three quarter pole and flight line is saying I'm going. And he just dragged Flavian Pratt to the lead. And of course, we all saw what happened. It, it was not, you know, it turned out to be not a vulnerability at all in the Pacific Classic. But now, fast forward, let's go to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Flight line is going to be competing against a horse. Uh, and, and depending on what we actually get from life is good in the Breeders' Cup Classic, I think it's, I think it's, you can say pretty definitively, it's the fastest horse that flight line will ever have chased. And if we get the absolute best life is good that we've seen, and with Todd Pletcher calling the shots, that's certainly uh, a, a plausible possibility. Uh, then going down the backstretch, we know life is good can be aggressive when they turn up the backstretch. If life is good becomes aggressive and flight line becomes, becomes aggressive right behind him, and flight line runs up to hook life is good, let's say at the five and a half pole, and both of them at that point become extremely competitive and and try to run off and they're side by side battling each other for a while. You know, I mean, that could conceivably at a mile and a quarter become a vulnerability for flight line if someone behind him runs well enough to perhaps come and get him in the last part of the race. And that someone could be epicenter based on the way he ran in the Travers and his development so far as a three-year-old. It could be Taba based on the way he ran uh, in the Pennsylvania Derby. Um, you know, there are some possibilities that will be sitting behind uh, flight line and life is good uh, that could pick up the pieces if that vulnerability does come into play. Let's talk about Epicenter for a minute, because this is another figure I wanted to pick your brain about. I feel, and you know, no no offense intended here, but oh. I feel like with, with subsequent events to the Travers, I feel like that figure, and I've said this publicly, but th th that figure feels like it might be a little bit high to me coming back at the, at the 112. Um, not that it's way off or anything, and I love Epicenter, and I still think he's progressive, and I agree he's one of the interesting ones, but I was just curious if, if you'd look back at that number at all and how you felt about it and how you felt about the chances of epicenter maybe being fast enough to take advantage of the scenario you just described. Oh, I, I look back at all the figures uh, with the benefit of hindsight. And uh, obviously we don't have the benefit of hindsight when we make the number day of, but I, I, I can say, I, I think 112 is the most logical figure, which is why we went with it <clears throat> similar to the 126 for flight line. But I can tell you with a high degree of confidence that if it's not 112, it's either 110 or 111. Okay. Okay. It's going to be no slower than 110. You know, even if you look at it the most critical way possible uh, with the way those horses came back. Um, Cyberknife had a uh, gorgeous trip in the Travers. Um, I remember I, I actually, I actually bet the epicenter Cyberknife exacta. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm just pointing out the reason I did 
was because there was very little early speed in that Travers and Cyberknife had an inside post. I think he had the inside post and he was going to be the horse that was going to control the early pace. And therefore I thought he was probably primed to run the race of his life in that scenario. Um, so I think when you look at the fig for the Travers, I think you got to keep that in mind as well. And then we saw what Zandon came back and ran in the Pennsylvania Derby. He's a very nice horse as well. Um, so I, at, at Epicenter ran a very good race in the Travers. I mean, I think that number, even if you deduct two points from it, obviously, if you're beating Flightline, you're projecting that something has to make him regress. He seems like a, as, as likely a horse as any to turn the tables um, when it comes to the when it comes to the big race. Of course, there's another three year old we have to talk about, too. Well, Taba. Yeah, exactly. And when you look at Flightline and you look at Taba, I mean, you look at their figures, keep in mind now that these are three-year-olds who tend to improve as the year goes on, right? When you look at American Pharaoh in the Breeders' Cup Classic in 2015, now he obviously had everything completely his own way in the running of the race at Keeneland. There was no competing early speed against him whatsoever. And that, of course, was a recipe for a 10-length win, which is what we saw from American Pharaoh. Um, I don't remember exactly where I'm going with this. Oh, three-year-olds developing through yep. the course of the year. American Pharaoh ran the best race of his life in the Breeders' Cup Classic late in his three-year-old year. And I think 120? That. Was, it, was it that high? It was, it was 121. A and, I, and I think we've seen that. It might have been 120. Um, in my mind, it was 121. But I, I think we've seen that with a lot of three-year-olds uh, when they get to the Pacific, uh, when they get to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yeah. So last horse, I, I have to ask you about Rich Strike before we before we get out of here, but I didn't mean to derail your, your momentum. Yeah. <laughs> Is I think Rich Strike has an opportunity with the right kind of trip to get on the board here. I don't think he can necessarily win, but I'm gonna run some of my money in this race through Rich Strike running second and third to these other logicals we're talking about. A am I off my rocker or, or can you see it? No, I don't think you're I don't think you're off your rocker. I mean, I said on the NBC telecast uh, for the um the Lucas classic that uh, I thought rich strike ran an outstanding race in the Travers. I actually thought he was the second best horse on Travers day behind epicenter. I thought he got a, a bad ride by Sonny Leon uh, as good as Sonny Leon rode the horse in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he was actually on the engine with rich strike at the four and a half furlong pole, which to me is just completely outrageous. And yet the horse was still digging in during the last part of the Travers. I thought he ran a heck of a race. And I expected him to run a really good race in the Lucas Classic. Now, the Breeders' Cup Classic, let's say you get that scenario uh, where you get a, a, a very fast pace with life is good and an epicenter breathing down his neck. You can certainly make, excuse me, a flight line breathing down his neck. You can certainly make the case that uh, if flight line runs even close to the way he ran in the Pacific classic and he runs past life is good that when you're betting exotics, uh, that life is good would be a good throw out because at that point he's a speed horse who's been displaced. Let's say at the half mile pole, he's running a mile and a quarter, which might be beyond his preferred distance. Anyway, the pace is going to be fast. I think chances are at that point that life is good. I don't want to, I mean, this sort of denigrating life is good. But at that point, I think there would be a better chance that he would run last than first. OK, so you take life is good out of the exotics equation. Uh, Hot Rod Charlie is a horse that likes to be fairly close up early. And, and if if he can't keep up early and he there's a chance he could get discouraged. Uh, same thing with Olympiad. We saw what happened when Olympiad tried to go after life is good in the Whitney. 
uh, and he couldn't really make any headway on him at the half mile pole. And at that point, Olympiad said, the heck with this, I'm out of here. And, you know, you can see, the, you, you can see the same thing happening in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So you throw out Life is Good, you throw out Hot Rod Charlie, you throw out Olympiad. At that point, logically, you're left with Flightline and you're left with, with Epicenter and Taba and you're left with Rich Strike. And if Sonny Leon can muster up just a scintilla of patience during the early part of the race, and if he doesn't, you know, lean over and try to elbow anybody in the run to the wire, uh, you can, I think, I I would put another rider on him. I I was going to say, is is there a chance, and we're recording this early, but is there a chance they take him off? He's earned to be jocked off. Eric Reed is firmly in the Sonny Leon camp and okay. Sonny Leon rode an amazing race in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, but I think what we saw in the Travers and what we saw in the, uh, in the uh, Luke's classic, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm paid to give my opinion. I think we see why Sonny Leon rides at Belterra and not Belmont. Right. Uh, so, but look with Sonny Leon, if, if Sonny Leon can be patient during the first part of the Breeders' Cup classic and not try to keep rich strike, within four or five lengths of the pace and let him drop back, not as far back as he was in the Kentucky Derby, but let him, you know, drop back and, and capitalize on the early pace. I don't think it's improbable at all to see Rich Strike come running late and let's say get third. Yeah, that's, that's, that is, I mean, I wouldn't put much, if anything, on the nose, but that second or third, there are scenarios, and I, and I think I don't think he's going to get a ton of market respect. We'll see, though. It can be a strange market in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic with so many eyes on it. This is going to be a great event, Randy. Really looking forward to all of your coverage. I, I kept you way too long today, and I enjoyed myself so much. We, we may just have to bother you again before, uh, before we get to the big days, and we look forward to seeing you in any case. Thank you so much for your time. Take care, Pete. Anytime. That's going to do it for the show. So much fun working with JK to bring you this great array of handicapping talent. Hopefully you learned a thing or two and are even more pumped about the Breeders' Cup than you were before. But we got a lot more content coming next week. We've got this draft on Monday for Owner's Box. Gabby Gaudet, Jay Privman, Michelle Yu, and Billy Koch going to be doing that. It's all for charity. Going to be so much fun. You can tune in live to that. We're going to have some sort of best bets show. we got the final answer show, our Q&A show, and our pro player roundtable. That's all coming down the pike. Free written content over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And, of course, as you've heard me say 17 times during these shows, all that In The Money Plus content as well. Give that URL one more time if you want to check that out. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash Plus, that's going to do it. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your Breeders' Cup photos. 